When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. And guys, when I tell you that my bookie is the best sports book to bet with, I'm not lying because right now they are giving you not one, but two promo codes to choose from when you're signing up for a brand new account. They have extended our exclusive promo deal for a couple more weeks, and that is UGA. Go to mybookie.ag, use our promo code UGA, and you'll get a 50% bonus on top of your first deposit for all new users. That does come with a playthrough, but hey, 50% bonus, if you plan on staying with them for a while, it makes a lot of sense. But if you're looking to avoid the playthrough, and you just wanna go and get some money in there and get a bonus on top of that, Take their 10% cash bonus with the code 200CASH. There is no playthrough involved there. You deposit your money, you get your 10% bonus up to $200, and then once you bet that initial deposit one time, you are free to withdraw that money and do whatever you want with it. So they are truly allowing you guys to pick the best offer for you. So take advantage of it while you can. Again, mybookie.ag, option one, promo code UGA for a 50% deposit bonus, or option two, 200 cash for a 10% cash bonus on top of your initial deposit. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and today I am back with our week five listener mailbag. And as is always the case, guys, you know how this works. You always load us up. We've got a ton of great questions, and I promise you we will get to all those questions here in about 60 seconds. But first, I want to give a quick shout out to our great friend, our great friend of the podcast, an amazing friend of the podcast, Josh Stevens, who's actually been on the show a couple times before. My man Josh and his lovely wife have just had their first son. He is a junior, going by JJ, and I am just extraordinarily excited for Josh. Josh is one of the good ones, guys. He is an Athens native. He's one of those guys that just makes the Bulldog Nation proud every single day with just how he goes about his business. And I know, I know for a fact that they are going to raise this kid the right way, and he's going to be one heck of a Georgia Bulldog down the road here eventually. But congratulations to Josh and his lovely wife. I am very, very, very excited for you. And shout out from the entire Glory UJ podcast family here. So yeah, but we have some questions to get to, so let's go ahead and get to them. We're going to start with our big picture question today. This is a great big picture question. I think it's a very fair question, and I'm going to answer this very honestly. Mason, who I don't know if we've had a question from before, so if you are new to the show, Mason, thank you for being here. We appreciate you. Welcome to the Glory UGA Podcast. If you're a longtime listener and it's just the first time asking a question, don't be a stranger. Keep sending these in, because this is a great one. Mason asks, or he says, you are obviously a Georgia guy. Yes, guilty as charged, but you always call it how it is. I Do really appreciate that, Mason. So what is your honest opinion? Should Georgia still be ranked number one right now? This is a very, very fair question. And you're right, Mason. I am a Georgia guy. I'm a very, very proud Georgia guy. And I do not take any pleasure in saying things that are critical of our program, my program, my university. But as you say, Mason, I really do try. I try to be as honest as I possibly can with you guys. I mean, there's always be a little bit of homerism because as I said, I am, I admit it, I'm a Georgia guy, but I try to be as objective with this as I possibly can, not be that blind homer. So I'm just gonna be honest with you guys right here. Right now, 
going into week five of the 2023 college football season, I do not currently think that the Georgia Bulldogs are the best team in America. Not right now as we are currently constituted and the way that we are currently operating. I still think that we are one of the best teams right now, but right now through the first four games of the season, I do not think that you can sit here and say honestly that we have performed as though we are the best team in the country. Now to some people out there, that is beside the point. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. There are people who still hold the view that if you are ranked number one coming into the season, especially if you are not just the one-time defending national champion, the two-time defending national champion, you deserve to keep that number one ranking until somebody knocks you off. That's one way to look at it. I, however, have never subscribed to that viewpoint, to that perspective. That doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I think it's kind of irrational. I know for a long time, that was the prevailing thought. That's how people did rankings. And there's still people who actually have votes who look at it that way. I've always seen it as more of a dynamic ranking. If I had a vote in the AP poll, it would be a very dynamic deal for me. And what I mean by that is it would be constantly changing based on the new data points I get. Just because I had a team number one the week before doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to keep them there just because they did not win. How did you perform this past week? How did other teams around you who ranked two, three, four, how did they perform? Did I get more data points from them that tell me that maybe they are better than you? That's kind of how I've always looked at it. I know that's not the, the traditional way to look at it. And I'm sure a lot of you don't agree with me here. That's totally fine. But to me, if you just keep a team number one because they're ranked number one in the first poll, isn't that being at least somewhat intellectually dishonest, especially deep down if someone asks you, do you really think that's still the best team in the country? You're like, well, no, I don't think they're the best team in the country right now, but they were number one last week. They didn't lose, so I'm gonna keep them there. That's intellectually dishonest. If we were number two or three right now and we had won multiple games against top 10, top 15 opponents to open the season and you had the team that was ranked number one to open the season who is still undefeated but hasn't looked exactly stellar and certainly hasn't been playing to their standard. Now, is Georgia being judged unfairly based on the, the impossible standard that we have established? That's also a fair argument. I will, I will admit that. But if, if we were number two or three and had two big wins on our schedule already, on our resume, and the team that was ranked number one in the preseason, is, again, still undefeated, but hasn't looked especially great, has, has some clear areas of, of I don't want to say deficiency, but some clear areas where they need to improve and they need to get better. And you feel like if we played them on a neutral site next week that we would beat the crap out of them, we'd be screaming from the top of our lungs that we should be ranked number one. So if we be doing that, if we were in that position, we have to also be honest, if we're the team that's number one and we have some areas where we clearly need to improve and we've got to grow, we've got to get better and we're not quite where we want to be yet, we've also got to be honest and say, you know what? There might be some teams that right now are playing better than we are, are further along than we are right now. Now, you can call me a Judas if you want. You can call me a, a turncoat if you want. That's fine. I'm a big boy. I can take it. Again, I'm just trying to be honest with you guys here. I wish that I could sit here and say unequivocally, we are the best team in the country, which is what I've been doing for essentially two years running now, because that's how I felt. That's That was my honest opinion over the past two years. My honest opinion right now is that we aren't there yet. I think if you guys would be honest with yourselves, you'd also admit we're not there yet. That doesn't mean we won't get there, but right now we're not there and we're not playing like the best team in the country. That's just how it is right now, guys. That's where we are at this moment in time. I think there are a number of teams right now that have better arguments, better resumes right now through the first four games to say that they, that they are better than us. Now, again, it goes back to how do you do rankings? Is it based on who you've beaten? Is it based on just how good a person thinks that those teams are? Because right now it's early in the season. Everybody's schedule has been you know equitable. You haven't played, you haven't as many opportunities to beat big time opponents. All that's true. So it depends on how you view ranking and, and what your philosophy is there. But I think there are a number of teams. I mean, what was it this week? I think six teams got first place votes. And I, I think it's one of those years. This would be the perfect year to have a 12-team playoff because I don't know if there's a dominant team. Is there a Georgia this year, like Georgia the past two years? I don't know if there's a team like that out there, at least not right now. Again, it's still early. Teams are growing, improving, developing. We'll see how things go as the season progresses. But right now, I don't know if there's a dominant team. But I think the, I think the number is six teams that got first place votes in this week's AP poll. I think Texas, Florida State, I want to say USC, Ohio State, Penn State, maybe Washington, one of those two teams. But there are probably seven or eight teams, I think, have a legitimate argument to say, you know what? We can claim that we should be number one. I mean, really, Texas, obviously going to Tuscaloosa winning that game. 
Florida State, I mean, I know Boston College a couple weeks ago was a tough look, but we had a game kind of like that last year against Missouri, although, although I do think that Missouri team last year is better than Boston College this year, but whatever. They've beaten LSU. They went to Clemson. I know Clemson wasn't ranked, but Clemson's a top 25 team. That was in Clemson, so that's a big win for Florida State. They have a strong argument to be number one. USC, maybe not as much, but that's a talented team, and they're playing well. Ohio State goes in and beats a top 10 Notre Dame team on the road, although they had no business winning the game. Hey, they won the game. Penn State right now is playing a high level. They're undefeated. Washington, they are, I mean, that is the most explosive offense in the country right now. Michigan, you can also throw Michigan there. They're, actually, they were probably one of the teams that had a first place. So I, I haven't looked at the poll this week, guys. I just have heard a few things. I haven't looked at the poll because I'm still watching games. And if I look at the poll, it might spoil some of the outcomes. So I'm holding off on that probably for another day as I, as I try to finish up watching the games. In fact, I have a couple more to watch as soon as I close this thing out today. But can you honestly say, guys, let's be honest. Like, let's take your red and black glasses off and let's be honest here. Let's have a little conversation. Are we really right now in a spot where we're playing better than Texas? Are we really playing better than Florida State right now? Are we playing better than Penn State, Michigan right now, than Washington right now? I don't really think that we are, but that's okay. Because here's the thing, guys. All that matters is where we are at the end of this season. Because I also know that while we might not be playing like we're the best team in America right now, this also is not the same Georgia team that we will be in four to six weeks once we get fully healthy, once all these young guys and experienced players get more experience. This is going to be a very different Georgia team. I've been saying this for a week or two now. By the end of the season, we are going to be a monster. We are not a monster right now. We're still very, very, very good, but we're not a monster right now. I mean, we have some areas right now, guys, that we are very thin. We're missing some big-time playmakers on both sides of the ball. And I do think our roster is one of the two to three best in the country. I think that's pretty clear, but it's not necessarily one of the two or three best in the country when we're not fully healthy. We have the number of injuries to impact players that we have right now. That reduces the margins. But to be quite honest, none of it really matters. It doesn't matter where we are ranked right now. I know it's it's a pride thing. It's an ego thing. It's a beat your chest kind of thing. And we, we all want to go out there and say we're the best. And we want we don't want to feel disrespected, right? We won the, back, the last two national titles back to back. So we, we should be number one. We feel like we should be. But that's just not how I've always viewed it. I mean, it's great that we won the last two national titles, and I'm so extraordinarily proud of that. I will never forget that. It's always going to be a part of me, a part of all of us. But this is a new season, and are we really, truly playing like the best team in the country? Again, I don't think so, but that doesn't matter right now. All that matters is that we keep winning football games. We are not at our best right now, but it's all, to me right now, it's all about survive and advance survive in advance. The margins are going to be smaller right now, guys, with the injuries that we have, some of the inexperience that we have right now. They're going to be smaller. We saw that a couple of weeks ago with South Carolina. That's going to be the case, at least here in the short term for the next couple of weeks. It's just about not slipping up and dropping game that we should not drop. Not going to Auburn and finding a way to lose to an Auburn team that has no business beating us. Coming to play against a Kentucky team that's going to give us their absolute best shot and play us with great physicality. All that matters is that we find a way to win these games here over the next couple of weeks. Get to that bye week, and then hopefully by the time that we get to that Florida game in late October, where we're really moving into the heart of our schedule, you got Florida, Missouri at home, Ole Miss at home, at Tennessee. That's where the schedule really picks up. If we can get to that point and get all these guys back and get healthier and get experienced, if we can get to that point undefeated, I feel really, really good about our chances to get to the regular season undefeated. And honestly, at that point, we might be the best team in the country. We might grow into that. I truly believe that that can happen, and I'm very open to that. But again, I have to be honest, I don't think that we are that team right now. So if we drop, let's say we go into Auburn and we beat them by 10 points, and it's not a super inspiring victory, it's it's actually a competitive game into the fourth quarter, and some of these other teams that are inside the top five, top 10, go out there and they just drop, you know, 30, 40 point victories on teams. If they, if somebody leaps us and we drop to two or three, don't freak out. That, that's, all, that's all I would say is don't freak out. If we drop, we drop. It doesn't matter right now. I know it's a little bit of a, of a, a shot to your pride and your ego and you feel disrespected. I get that, but it doesn't matter right now. All that matters is where we are at the end of the season, after championship weekend, are we in position to make a college football playoff? Because if we are in that position, if we survive in advance right now, while we're dealing with all these injuries and all the inexperience, if we can just survive in advance and get to that point, I think that we have a chance to go back to the college football playoff and pull off that three-peat. If the playoff was 
next week, I don't know that we would win it. I, in fact, I, I don't. I wouldn't feel very confident saying that we would. But again, the great thing is we're only going to week five. We got plenty of time to get that point. And that's one of the hallmarks of Kirby Smart's teams. They improve. They get better. This guy does not allow his team to just sit and rest on his laurels and just stagnate. He is constantly on his guys. He's constantly preaching. We've got to get better. We've got to improve. He's constantly developing these guys. And I have zero doubt in my mind, if we can just get through these next couple of weeks without slipping up, that by the time we get to the end of the season, this team is going to be rolling. And then I can say with a straight face, yes, indeed, the Georgia Bulldogs deserve to be number one and are the best team in the country. So there's the big picture question, but we have a lot more questions to get to. First, though, I want to again remind you about our great friends at my bookie. I told you guys earlier, we've got two great promo deals for you guys to choose from. How many sports books are doing that for you guys? You got the, the Glory UGA promo code that's been extended for a couple more weeks. Go to mybookie.ag, use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on top of your initial deposit for all new users. There is a playthrough associated with that one. I think it's a 10 times playthrough. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's what it is. But if you want to avoid the playthrough and get just a straight cash bonus, they got that option for you too. Go to mybookie.ag and use the promo code 200 cash. And that's a deposit, 10% deposit bonus straight on top of your money, on your deposit money, go straight to your, to your account. There's no, it's not a free play. It, there's no playthrough. Just bet your deposit one time and you can withdraw that money and do whatever you want with it. And my bookie guys, they have so many great features for you. If anything that you want to bet on, you can bet on Major League Baseball playoffs about to start. We know NFL's is, is going right now. Obviously, college football is going hot and heavy. This is the best time of year to bet, guys. There's no question about it. This is the best time, and you don't want to miss out on it. So again, all new users, go to mybookie.ag. Use one of two promo codes, either UGA for a 50% deposit bonus on your first deposit or 200 cash for a 10% cash bonus on top of that first deposit. So make sure today, guys, sign up so you can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with my bookie. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, so we've got a lot to get to, you guys. Let's keep this thing going. And we're going to go to a question for Bulldog Report. If you're not following Bulldog Report, guys, our friend Eric, another great friend of the podcast, if you're not following them on Twitter, if you're not following their blog, you got to make sure you're doing that, guys. They put a bunch of great content out for you guys all year long. So give them give them a follow and check out their blog. A lot of great stuff for you there. But Bulldog Report asks, why are some Georgia fans jumping out the windows of the 2023 season when Georgia has outscored its opponents 77-17 to in the second half of games this season? This is a very good question. I think it's a pretty simple answer as far as I'm concerned. The answer to me is that Kirby Smart has created a monster. And that's a beautiful thing because we won back-to-back national championships with that monster. But what comes along with back-to-back national championships? Unreasonable expectations. We're all human, guys. We can try to guard against it, but you can't help it. When you win back-to-back national titles, and all of a sudden now you're not unequivocally the best in the country, as I just laid out, in my opinion, that we are not quite there yet. We can get there. We're not there yet. When you're not beating teams by the same margins that you were beating teams before, if you're not clicking on all cylinders, if you are not making the plays the way that you made the plays in those national championship seasons, all of a sudden the sky's falling, and you're like, what is wrong? And everyone else in the country is like, dude, what are you guys talking about? We would murder someone to have what you have. But we don't see it that way because our success has elevated our expectations to, I don't want to say borderline unreasonable levels, to just straight up unreasonable levels. And again, we're human. It's hard not to do that. When you experience the heights that we've experienced over the past two seasons, 
It feels amazing. We all know that, right? And you want to feel that way again. And you expect to feel that way again. That's where I, I hate to use this word because there's so many negative connotations associated with it. I don't want anyone to feel like I'm directing this at you. But as a fan base, like, let's be honest, we've kind of become spoiled over the past two years. But to your point, Eric, from the Bulldog Report, you're exactly right. The sky is not falling. Although I, I did say earlier, and I will stand by it, I don't think that we're playing at the best team in the country right now. The sky is certainly not falling. We are still an extraordinarily good football team. I still say we're one of the three to five best teams in the country right now, especially if we, once we get healthy. Clearly, I think that we will be. But we are definitely playing at a very high level in the second half. And we are in also the, throughout the first half of these games, guys, we're, we're doing some good things. We're just doing some small things here and there to shoot ourselves in the foot. The execution is not as crisp as it needs to be. Now, why is that? Especially with the offensive line. I've had a hard time wrapping my head around that one because most of those guys, four of them, started both college football playoff games last year. Well, I know Marius Mims is hurt right now, but for the guys to open the season, our starters, and have played a good bit of football together. And the inconsistencies in their execution is still baffling to me. I don't understand it because... Those guys have done those things at a much higher level consistently before, as recently as last year. And so it's just kind of strange right now how that's happening. Is that a function of the level of competition and just not being as focused and motivated? You can say all you want. We play to our standard. That's true. We want to. But again, these guys, they're human just like we're human, right? And they know who they're playing. And it's really hard to get up for games like that. Guys, I'll be honest with you. I go to, I go to every game. You guys know that, right? I go to every single game and I try so hard for these these cupcake games, these baby seal games to get up for. And look, I cherish every single time I get to walk inside Sanford Stadium. We only get six, this year seven, but usually only six times a year to do that. So I cherish every single one of them. But at the same time, it's also for a fan, it's really hard to get yourself fired up for those games. And if I feel that way, you know the players feel it at least to a degree, guys. I mean, they do. So is that part of it? I think that it is, yes. Now, is it the predominant factor? I don't know if I can say that, but I do think it's it's part of the mix. Back to the original question, Eric. Yeah, it's unreasonable expectations, outsized expectations. And look, guys, expectations are good. Expectations are a good, healthy thing. You want to have expectations for our program. We should hold our program to those standards because that's what we're capable of. But people losing their minds when you beat a team by 28 points as opposed to... 38 points or 40 points. I do think that's a little over the top. I do think that's perhaps a little unreasonable. Again, expectations are good. Like we don't want to get in a situation where, you know, we, we were in the past where, you know, we, we get, you know, nine, 10 wins and we feel good about that. Yeah, you know, we, we were a good team. Might not have been great. Might not have gotten over the top. You know what? We, we were good this year. We should expect more than that. But we also don't understand. I know we've kind of gotten spoiled here again. Here's that word. We won back to back national titles. I hate to say this out loud because I don't want to think about it, but we're not going to win every national championship from here on to eternity. That's just not going to happen. And I'm not saying you have to love that. I'm not saying that you have to be happy with everything you see. Guys, there are plenty of things I see with this football team right now that are very frustrating for me. I mentioned the offensive line. That's extraordinarily frustrating for me. And I just, again, don't quite get it. I'm not saying that you should be happy with inferior play. But I would also just suggest you can do whatever you want. You are all grown people. Do whatever you want. But I think it might help a little bit if you just had a little perspective on the situation right now. So Eric, I hope that answered your question, but if not, we'll, we'll give another shot if you need me to, my man. But all right, let's move on here. Let's go to our next question. We got one from Art, another great friend of the podcast. Art asks, what is your take on Cedric Van Pran Granger's performance this season? I'm not knocking the kid, but I've seen him miss blocks, miss assignments, and get pushed around a bunch. He literally was pancaked on Saturday. Yes, Art, I did see that as well. Not a good look for a supposed All-American. Art, I think you kind of answered your own question, man. Everything you're seeing is is correct. Curtis and I, we talked about this for a couple of weeks now. I, I take zero pleasure in criticizing our players like this. I, and I, I don't even like to think about it as criticism. It's just um, constructive observations, maybe. I guess it is criticism, I guess. But I don't, it comes from a good place. This is not me trying to be malicious and call for the guy's head. I'm not doing anything like that. I just, again, going back to what we said at the outset, I'm trying to be objective with you guys. I love Cedric Van Pram. I am so appreciative of everything that he has done for our program. I am so impressed with his leadership skills and what he does for this team behind the scenes. I'm so glad that he is on our team. All of those things are true. But if you're talking about his play on the field, we also have to be honest and be fair and say it has not been up 
to the standard that we expect of Cedric Van Praan. Now, I am a, a guy who, when I watched Cedric Van Praan play last year, I thought he was a good player. But as I told you in the offseason, there's a reason Cedric came back to school for another year. It wasn't because he just loved the university so much that he's willing to pass up on all those millions of dollars in his NFL career. He can, he can put that off for another year. That's not why he came back. He came back because the feedback he got from the NFL was that he would not be near as high of a draft pick based on his performance that he wanted to be. So he came back to try to enhance that draft stock. Now, of course, he loves his university, so maybe it's easier to come back when you do love your teammates and your coaches and your university so much. That makes it easier, certainly. But he came back largely because he was trying to improve his draft stock because his play last year did not warrant him being drafted as high as he was hoping that he would be drafted. So I don't think that he was an All-American caliber guy last year. I think the fact that he was an All-American selection in the preseason, All-SEC guy in the preseason was based on reputation. And is that reputation always based on the play on the field? Not always. Sometimes it is. Like Brock Bowers, that reputation is earned. That's play on the field. But some guys, we see it every year, guys, not just with Georgia guys. It happens every single year, these preseason All-American, All-SEC lists. Some of these guys, for some reason, their name has got bandied about as, the, the, as though they are this elite All-American caliber player, first-round NFL guy. And I just don't know if Cedric's play to coming into this year had warranted that kind of recognition. I thought he was a really good player for us, experienced player, All-American level. I don't think I've ever seen that. So when I look at Cedric this year, I do think he has played at a um, level that is slightly beneath what he played at last year. And that's somewhat concerning, right? Because you expect another year in the system, another year, another offseason, that this guy would would clearly take it to the next level, play at a higher level. And we're not seeing that right now. Now, it is early in the year. I'll use Tate Ratlitz as an example. Last year, he didn't play at a really high level the first half of last year. Second half of last year, that dude turned it on. It was awesome. Now, he's not always doing that right now. He's getting better. Last two games have been much better. First two games, ugh, I don't know. But Tate was coming off an injury, like a, a season-ending injury. That's not the case with Cedric. So this is one of those things. I don't I don't know exactly what the issue is here. Maybe the issue is that Cedric, this is just who he is. Uh, and missing blocks, you're, you're right. There are some times where he's just not blocking anybody, but that... Sometimes it happens, misassignments, the guys get confused. That's not okay. I don't want to excuse that. But what's more concerning for me is he's having trouble staying on blocks. There was a play against South Carolina, and we got in the red zone. Uh, the first red zone trip, we run the ball on first down, and he he's trying to turn his guy, the, the nose guard. He's trying to turn him. He gets him turned. The guy immediately just throws him away, fights off the block, and then makes the play. That cannot happen because that – could have been, I mean, it was at least a, a 10, 15-yard game. It might have been a touchdown if he makes that block. But this guy makes the play. I know that's just one isolated play. No, no lineman makes 100% of their blocks. But that's happening with far too high of a frequency for me right now with Cedric. I don't think he's getting the movement. He's a center. He's a smaller guy. He's not going to get the kind of movement you expect from, like, your bigger guards and tackles. But you're right, missing assignments. I'm not holding his blocks as long. I'm not staying on his feet at times. Getting the second level is all. Like, it's not that he has a problem getting the second level. It's he's had issues in the past of actually picking somebody up when he gets to second level, blocking those athletic guys at the second level um, and getting pushed back. Like you mentioned, he does get pushed back some. And that happens with centers. That's not necessarily abnormal. But again, I don't want to excuse what's happening. It happens too much right now. So I am with you, Art. I do think that Cedric needs to improve his play. And I think Cedric would tell you that. I think we were sitting down here with him. We were just having a conversation and everybody's being honest, I think that he would he would honestly admit, yeah, I got to play at a higher level. Now, I still think he does a good job of pointing out the mic and getting some good protections and all those kind of things. I like having his presence there for a young and experienced quarterback. or not a young quarterback, but an experienced quarterback in Carson Beck. I love all that and his leadership is invaluable, but we also have to get more from him on the actual field of play. So I'm with you there, R. I'm seeing a lot of the same things that you were seeing, my friend. But all right, guys, let's move on here. Let's go to our next question. This is from The Other Chris. I think this is another new, I don't know, new listener. I don't know, but I think this is the first time asker of questions. Is that how we would say that? But thank you, man. I appreciate the question. The Other Chris asks, and this is an important question. This is on a lot of people's mind. When will we see Lad McConkey? Coach Smart has been pretty vague on him. Yeah, great question, man. Uh, we, obviously, we all want to see Lad McConkey out there. Judging off of Kirby Smart's Monday press conference, it sounds like he's getting closer. He said that he's going to he's gonna give it a go and practice this week. He's not going to have contact the first day or two, and then we'll see how it goes the rest of the week. But he's been clear to get out there and do running. He was doing some running last week, some cutting, those kind of things. So it's looking more promising, but here's the thing. As I've said this a couple times, when you're talking about a back injury, guys, I know like it might seem like Coach Smart has been vague on what's happening with Ladd. He's been honest, in my opinion, saying it's a back thing. And 
the vagueness comes from the reality that you just don't really know with backs. And guys, the first game of the of the year against UT Martin, Friday night, he was a go. I had that on very good authority from people that would know these things. He was a go. Wakes up Saturday morning, he's got tightness, stiffness, and he's like, Coach, I can't go. I, I, I can't really move right now. And I'm telling you guys, as someone who's had back injuries, you just never know, man. Like you might feel like it's good to go and you're perfect and you're healed and there's no problem. It's a miracle, right? And then the next day, Boom, right back at it. As soon as you start that uh, that motion again, as, you, as soon as you start that activity, it tightens back up on you. So I don't think Coach Smart is being intentionally vague. I think it's just the nature of the injury that we're dealing with right now. So in saying that, the reality is I cannot give you a firm answer of when we will see Lad McConkey. It could very well be as soon as this weekend. That is my hope. I don't want to say I have expectations of seeing that, but if things go as planned this week and the back does not flare up on him, we will see Lad McConkey at Auburn this week. Now, will he be on a pitch count? Is he going to play a ton of snaps? I would say probably not. Again, that just kind of depends on how his body responds when he actually ramps up the activity and ramps up the contact at some point this week. If we get to that point, knock on wood. So it's just so hard to say, man. I wish I could give you a more firm answer there. I mean, honestly, the, the coaches and I would say trainer Ron Corson probably doesn't fully know. We're taking it day by day. I know you, you hear that phrase, he's day to day. That's what Lad really is right now. He's day to day. And like, our coaches are, are were told, were strongly recommended that he take two weeks off. Like, just shut him down for two weeks. And that's what we've done for two weeks. Because, like, week one, he was going to play. Week two, we were hoping he was going to play. And then it flared up on him again. So what we were told at that point is two weeks. Just chill out, two weeks, nothing. And let's just see what happens. And we've taken those two weeks. It seems like it's improving from what I'm hearing and understanding. We'll just have to see how it continues to progress throughout this week. So fingers crossed, guys. Fingers crossed. Because if we get Lad back... That's a huge boost this offense. I think their offense has actually been playing much better lately, last six quarters, but getting Lad back will certainly help a lot of things. All right, next up, we've got a question from Jack. Appreciate it, Jack. Jack asks, what are your thoughts on the left side of the offensive line? Is Dylan Fairchild an option to stay at left guard over Xavier Trust? Yeah, Jack, Curtis and I, we kind of alluded this a little bit on the, the recap episode after the UAB game. I really like what I'm seeing from Dylan Fairchild. It seems like every game he's improving and getting more comfortable out there on the field. And this is the way I look at it. I don't necessarily know if I see it as a Xavier Trust as the odd man out. I think this is a Dylan Fairchild, Ernest Green thing. Let me explain this, okay? Because I know they don't play the same position, right? Green is playing left tackle. Fairchild is playing left guard. I think what it's going to come down to is which of those two guys are playing at a higher level at their position. Because what Xavier Trust has is positional versatility. He, for the first three-ish years of his career, guys, he kept trying to win the battle at tackle. He could never quite win that battle. Then, you know, he wins the battle last year going into the season at left guard. And so he's got the guy, he's kind of guy, he's got the ability to, to be a tackle or guard. He's got that positional versatility. In fact, I think right now he's playing better at tackle. I think he has trouble bending sometimes as a guard. And when he has to block some of those guys that are blitzing from the interior, he has trouble doing that. So with Truss's positional versatility, him being able to play tackle or guard, I think that allows us to determine who are we trusting more right now, Dylan Fairchild or Ernest Green? Because if if we trust Dylan Fairchild more, if you think he's playing a higher level than Green, he can stay at left guard. And once Mims comes back, you can shift Truss over to, you can move him to left tackle or keep him at right tackle. And maybe Mims plays left tackle. I think Mims has that ability. I think Mims could play left tackle in the NFL. It's honestly somewhat surprising that we didn't move him there in the offseason. I guess he just got that comfort level with the right tackle, but he has the athleticism, in my opinion, to be able to do that. Or if we think that Ernest Green is playing a higher level than Dylan Fairchild, and Ernest did have his best game of the season today against UAB. He's improving also with each game. So you got to give him, he was not good the first couple games. I just got to be real, but he's getting better. And I, and I love to see that I'm high on his long-term potential, but he's a young guy, basically missed all of last year, even practice time with the back injury. So that's tough. So he's basically almost like a true freshman in terms of like actually practice time on the field. So you got to keep that in, in context. But what matters is how you're playing on the field. And if we think that he's playing at a higher level than Dylan Fairchild, then yeah, when Mims comes back, we can we can plug him back in at right tackle and you move Trust back to left guard. That's certainly a possibility. Or here's option three. Maybe both Fairchild and Ernest Green really raise your level of play and just keep improving game after game after game. By the time Mims comes back, maybe we feel like we can't take Fairchild out at left guard. Maybe we feel like we can't take Ernest Green off of left tackle. 
And maybe Truss is the odd man. I think that that's certainly a possibility. It's an option. I think it'd probably be the least likely of those three options, but it's there potentially. But back to your original question, Jack. Yeah, I think Dylan Fairchild played awesome on Saturday. That guy is mean. He's nasty. I've talked about before. You give me a offensive lineman with a wrestler background, a, a, a high caliber, like championship caliber wrestling background, which Dylan Fairchild has. Give me that all day long, man, because that is that is toughness personified. That's nastiness, physicality personified. Those are just tough SOBs out there on the field, and I love having that on your offensive line. You need that. So right now, it's just a matter of him just getting more comfortable with being out there, and he's doing that game by game. I thought he played really, really well against UAB. I know it was UAB, but I thought he played really well in that game, and I'll be anxious to see what he does against a really solid Auburn defense this this week. And Ernest Green, I mentioned, again, I think he played at a a much higher level against UAB than he had in previous weeks. He's still certainly got a long way to go, but he's getting there. He's improving. He's developing. I go back to what I said at the outset on the first question. It's about surviving advance right now. We are not where we need to be at all positions on the field. Offensive line, left tackle is one of those, but we've just got to survive in advance and keep improving it to the point by the end of the year that 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 dude is ready to be a force at left tackle. I think that, that could be in the cards. We just gotta we gotta see how it how it continues to develop as the season goes on. All right, guys, we got plenty more questions to get to, but first, before I forget, because you guys know me, I, I will forget these things. I do want to remind you guys about our great friends at Alumni Hall. No home game this week, so you can't come into into town for a game this weekend. But that doesn't stop you from shopping at Alumni Hall because they have one of the best online shopping experiences you're gonna find with any Georgia retailer. Just go to alumnihall.com and all the great gear they have in store here in Athens, inside the Etchbridge Shopping Center, just past the Oconee Connector. They've got it online too, guys, and they will ship it to you with great care. Very nice little touches, and they'll get it to you really quickly, guys. And if you spend more than 100 bucks, shipping is free. So tough to beat that. So make sure to check out Alumni Hall in person if you can, if you're in the Athens area. But if not, check them out at alumnihall.com for all the best Georgia football gear, Georgia anything gear that you're going to find anywhere. Because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldog shop. Okay, let's keep this train rolling, and let's go to our next question. We got one from all CFB, our good friend Sam. Thanks, Sam. Always appreciate it, man. Sam has a recruiting question for us, and I think you guys, if you've been paying attention to the recruiting front this week, you kind of probably know where this one's heading. What are your thoughts on BMAC at wide receiver coach right now with our struggles recruiting wide receivers? Yeah, I know, guys. Look, NICAR, if you're not familiar with what's going on, if you're like just locked in on the seas and not paying attention to recruiting, I get that. But NICAR, who is one of our highest-rated receivers, I mean, we only got three receivers committed right now. Nitro Tuggle is my favorite guy on the commit list. I guess now he certainly is, but even with NICAR, he was. But NICAR is a really good player, Colquitt County kid. He has decommitted. It looks like he's probably going to go to Miami. That's the read. That's what I'm hearing right now. Uh, NIL is certainly involved there. With receivers, guys, that's part of the deal. Uh, that's a premium position, and that is a position where the marketplace will give you a little hefty penny in the NIL game. So that's kind of what's going on there. But I know that doesn't make you feel any better because this is not an isolated case. We have consistently had significant issues recruiting high-level wide receivers. Now, we've got George Pickens, the isolated five-star guy. And let me ask you this, guys. Would we have gotten George Pickens a couple years ago if, if NIL was the thing back then? I absolutely do not think that we would have. And before you guys accuse me of just having sour grapes and saying, oh, you, you're just making excuses for George losing this guy. You're just saying NIL. Guys, this is no hard feelings for whoever gets him. NIL doesn't play a factor. It's just like with KJ Bolden. No hard feelings to Florida State, man. I'm not criticizing them. They did what they had to do to get the guy. It's a philosophical thing. Kirby Smart's philosophy is simply to not go all in with NIL deals for incoming freshmen. That's just how he views it. Now, there are a few guys where he'll make exceptions for. He made an exception for K.J. Bolden. Uh, it went way above what we normally would go. But Forest State came in, and they went above that because they really were desperate to get that guy. It was more of a PR move, in my opinion. And then they got a good player. Now, we're not letting up on K.J., but I still think it's certainly more likely than not that he goes to Florida State. But it's just a philosophical thing. Now, I know there's other positions, too. You're saying, well, Tyler, why are we having trouble recruiting wide receivers specifically? That That is a fair thing. Now, here's what's going on with receiver. Because there are other positions where, you know, NIL is a factor, too. The issue with the receiver, it, to me, is pretty well documented, guys. We don't have proof of concept. We can tell guys all we want. Yeah, you come here, and we're going to feature you. What does that look like in the Georgia offense when you say feature me? Does that mean I get like 650 yards receiving? Because if I go to Ohio State, 
If I go to Florida State, I'm going to be a thousand yard receiver. I'm going to be a first round draft pick. You can't guarantee me that at Georgia because that's not what you guys do. You have all these tight ends you want to throw the football to. So it's a double edged sword. We have this great history of recruiting tight ends with Todd Hartley. Why are we able to do that? Does that mean that Todd Hartley is just so much a better recruiter than Brian McClendon? BMAC's been a great recruiter for a long time, guys. What's happening right now is that we have proof of concept with our tight ends. We play two tight ends the vast majority, no, I should say the vast majority of the time, but more than 50% of the time, we feed the ball to the tight ends. And every time we feed the ball to the tight end, every time we have two tight ends on the field, that means we have one less receiver on the field. That means we don't have, that means we have one less opportunity for a receiver to catch the ball when we're feeding the ball to the tight end. So if we're going to recruit the tight end position the way that we do based off of how we use those guys, the other side of that is that we are going to have more difficulty recruiting receivers. That's just the reality of the situation. And then on top of that, we just do not have the history of production at the wide receiver position. We've had, again, I've said this so many times. You guys know the number. One receiver, one single lone receiver in the history of the Georgia football program has put up 1,000 yards receiving in a year. One. Terrence Edwards, 2002. I'm not a math guy. Uh, I think that's 21 years ago. And let's think about the guys that we are recruiting. We're talking about 16, 17, 18-year-old guys. Were any of them alive when Terrence Edwards put up 1,000 yards receiving? No, they weren't. Again, I go back to proof of concept. These guys that we are recruiting, they have no reason to believe that Georgia can produce receivers that are going to be first-round draft picks. When is the last time that happened? Now, George could have been that guy. And it's that that's the biggest issue, like with George Pickens' injury. And we still won the national title, so it's all fair in love and war, right? What where it really hurt us is George is gonna be a thousand yard guy. I believe I truly believe that. I believe he was gonna be a thousand yard guy in 2021. I think that he would have been a first round draft pick. He was a second round draft pick, didn't even hard to play last year or that year. I think he would have been a first round draft pick. I think he would have been a thousand yard guy, and that could have been the the receiver that opened the floodgates for us, because that's proof of concept. It's only one guy, but it's still it's proof of concept. And that didn't happen for us. And we are still feeling the effects of that. And it's not just that. That was just our, our best chance of having that guy. Now, A.J. Green, you might say, well, A.J. Green. A.J. Green never put up 1,000 yards, guys. Also, A.J. Green played for us uh, over a decade ago, guys. Again, most of these, they were alive, but they they weren't watching college football back then. And A.J. Green doesn't even play in the NFL right now. So that's not a guy that's on their radar right now. They might be vaguely aware, oh, yeah, A.J. Green, he was good once upon a time, right? That's that's not what they're looking at. That's, that's not a guy. That's not a Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. It's not a Jamar Chase from LSU. It's, it's not a Devontae Smith who won the freaking Heisman Trophy as a receiver. Alabama. They know those guys. They watch those guys. They don't know those guys from Georgia. So yes, you can put this on Brian McClendon. I, I get it because he technically is the, the receiver coach, right? And he's responsible for recruiting these guys or getting them. And now it's more complex than that. It's not, you know, we don't only have one coach that recruits them, but obviously the position coach is going to be the lead on most of these guys. But BMAC's working his tail off, man. In fact, I think the fact that we've been in it for a lot of these high-level receivers, I think that's a testament to how good of a recruiter Brian McClendon is. Because honestly, with our history receiver, we have no business even being remotely in it for these five-star prospects. We really don't. It is very, very much an uphill battle. The negative recruiting is so real. You guys have no idea how real it is, especially at the receiver position right now. And that's something we're constantly having to combat when we're recruiting these high-level guys. Now, here's one way I do think that we can help us. If we're looking for solutions, because that's the question, like, okay, how do we fix this? Are we just going to be resigned to never have elite receivers? Here's one way that I don't, it's not a magic bullet. It's not a silver bullet that's going to solve everything, but I think it can help a little bit. We have got to stop rotating our receivers as much as we do. I get why we do it philosophically. Kirby's all about competition, right? If you earn it in practice, you're going to play. I get that, and there's merit to that, but the byproduct of that is there's no single receiver that's getting enough snaps to go out there and put up a thousand yards. We're constantly rotating guys. Watch other teams around the country, guys. Very, very few other teams rotate receivers the way that we do. They keep their best players on the field almost all the time, at least at that position. They are not taking those guys off the field. Marvin Harrison Jr. is not coming off the field very often, guys. Because when you're not on the field, you don't have a chance to make plays. You can't put up the yards. So to me, let's take our guys that we trust the most. And I know Lad McConkie's not healthy, but Lad McConkie, when he gets healthy, 
Dominic Lovett, whoever we think are our top receivers, and keep them on the field. I'm not saying you can't give them a blow here or there. Sure, every now and then. But we do not need to be rotating as consistently as we do right now. I understand the merits behind that because obviously you got the transfer portals, everything you have to contend with. I understand why Kirby's doing it. If the guys are earning it in practice, they work hard, you want to keep them happy, you want to give them some snaps so they stay in your program. And I, I get that. I truly do get that. But I, I do also think you have to admit it's hurting us because we're not featuring guys and those big time like Mike Matthews kind of guys want to be featured they want to be big time producers at the college level so they can be big time first round draft picks and they don't see that future at Georgia because again no proof of concept so I think that's one thing that could help us are we going to do that Uh, probably not obviously no we've seen no indication that's going to happen here's what I think ultimately is what's going to have to happen one of these guys that we sign a receiver who is maybe a slightly under-recruited and maybe not a five-star guy, but we get him, he, he's going to have to be a stud and just become a monster. A.D. Mitchell, for example, was going to be that guy, right? If A.D. Mitchell is playing for us this year, is A.D. go over 1,000 yards? I think there's a chance. I think I think that highly of A.D., especially with Lad McConkie not playing. But he goes to Texas, right? I mean, this is a guy that we evaluated, we found, got the diamond in the rough, if you want to call him that, and um, was playing great football for us. He goes to Texas. It is what it is, right? But we're going to need somebody to go for over a thousand yards. One of these guys, maybe it was Lad McConkie. If he was, if he didn't get hurt, I don't know. Maybe it's Nitro Tug when he comes in next year. Maybe it's Dominic Lovett. You know, maybe somebody like that. We need one of these guys to just play above what their recruiting ranking is and give us that proof of concept. So that's really what we have to do. Now, here's the other thing. The last thing I'll say on this with receiver recruiting, I think that we are going to just have to continue to hit the, the portal hard because they have different priorities. If you're a a transfer receiver like Dominic Lovett or Rara Thomas, you are, first off, you, you've you given us proof of concept that you can play at this level. There's always that risk with high school guys. As, high, as highly as you might think of a guy, no matter what's your evaluation of them, you never really know until they get here on campus. If you have a guy like Robert Thomas and Dominic Love, who both led their team in receiving last year in the SEC, they, they have proof of concept for you. So you I would, if I'm Kirby Smart, right, and this is his philosophy, I, I agree with this part of his philosophy, reserve the NIO money for guys that have proven to you that they can do at this level. To me, that makes a lot more sense. I get where he's coming from. Why do you want to spend all this NIO money on these guys that you don't know? Like you think, but you don't really know. Why not spend the money on the guys that we know? And I know like you want to have these guys in your program from the get-go and the culture and all that kind of thing. But I think the transfer portal just might be where we have to live in the short term, at least, when it comes to receiver recruiting. Because again, number one, you got proof of concept from these guys. You can spend your NIO money on them. It's far less of a risk. They know what college is. Maybe you don't have the headaches that you might have with some of these younger guys. I think that might be part of our philosophy. And that's what we're going to have to do, guys. That's like We're not going to get a big-time guy. I have no expectations of us being able to flip a five-star guy, Mike Matthews, or something down the stretch. Maybe, possibly. It's not impossible, but I don't have much hope of that. So how are we going to supplement this receiver class? Right now, I mean, Nitro Tug was awesome. I'm really, really, really high on him. I think Sokovi White's going to be a good player for us. He's just a football player. I love those kind of guys. But we need more than just that right now. So we're going to have to hit the portal hard. We're going to have to go and look for some big-time wide receivers like we did last year and bring those guys in the program next year. Because right now, if we don't do that, let's say Lad goes pro, maybe Glad comes back dealing with the injury right now. I don't know. I thought, I mean, I figured he was going to go pro after this year without the injuries, but now who knows? Maybe Dominic Lovett goes pro. Who knows what that room is going to look like? I just know there's a good chance our two, the guys who I think are our two best receivers right now might not be on this roster next year. So what does receiver room look like? Robert Thomas will probably be back, so that looks good there, but we really probably need to supplement that with like proven playmakers. So we need to go out there and we need to find somebody in the portal big time next year. That's going to be a huge part. I know we're focused on this year right now, but for me, that's a big priority going to next year. So there you have it. I know we uh, went long there on that question, but there's a lot of layers to that one. That's a great question, Sam. Always appreciate it, man. All right, let's go to Hayward. Uh, Hayward asks, how do you feel about Andrew Paul? It seems like the ground game is moving in the right direction. Great question, Hayward. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I do think the ground game is definitely moving in the right direction. You guys know I was very concerned after the first two games. We started to find a little something in South Carolina, especially in the second half, and we continued that positive momentum against UAB. Now, I need to see us do it against a, a better defensive team, a better defensive front. I think Auburn is that. That's going to be a tough challenge. I'm still concerned about it. Uh, we just don't have the depth at, at running back. And I, don't, I still don't know if it were special at running back. I think Deja Edwards is a really good back for us and a breath of fresh air. And it's the best back that we have right now. He's got to be our feature guy, clearly, if he's healthy. But is Deja special? I don't know if he's that, right? We're, just not, we're not going to be special at running back this year. With the, it, with the situation we're dealing with right now, we're not. Andrew Paul could really help. 
And I think he's he's starting to come along the first game, man. He was first game or two. He just really was not confident. You can see he was hesitant. He just wasn't running with authority, power. And he's a big physical guy. You watch him in high school. The dude was running with authority, running physically. Wasn't doing that first couple games. And he didn't get a ton of carries against UAB, but he got some run in the first half with the number one unit. And I thought he was running a little bit harder, a little bit more behind his pads and looked a step quicker, maybe not as hesitant. So I think he's trending in the right direction. I still believe in Andrew Paul. It's just, it's a, it's a tough thing to overcome. I mean, you're just never going to be 100% that first year off the injury. You got to overcome the mental hurdle. I think the more he plays, the better he's going to get. And so he's got to keep feeding the ball and give him opportunities. But I, do, I just, I still think that Dejan needs to be the guy. Kendall Milton, I mean, I, I hope he gets healthy. Man, I don't really know what's going to what's going to be the case there. Roger Robinson also dealing with a knee thing. I, we'll see what happens there. Are the ankle things in a boot right now? We'll see what happens there. But he'll be back at some point. But we're just not super deep at that position, nor are we like actually all that super talented there. So I, I don't know if we're going to ever have the ground game that we've been accustomed to in the past, go back to the 2017, 18 years, those kind of the years. But I think that we can be better than we were the first two games of the year, and we're showing that. I think the offensive line can play better and are starting to play better because it still has the potential to be one of the best offensive lines in the country. It has not played that way, but they have that potential. I've seen them do it. It's just a matter of getting back to that. And I don't understand, again, why that's not the case right now. It's baffling to me. But we are moving in the right direction, and we just got to keep – trending in that direction and do it against higher level competition so that I can maybe sleep a little bit better at night. All right, Jake has a question here. Now we're going to move on to a couple questions. Got about three more here. And we've got a couple that are moving on to the Auburn game this week. And I'll have our our full-on game preview episode for you guys later this week. But uh, let's do a little, little Auburn talk here. Jake asks, first row game, do we think the crowd noise will affect our offense enough in key moments? Jake, that is a a very serious concern of mine. I've been to Jordan Hare for many a game for a long time now, and it can be a really, really loud stadium. At its best, it's one of the loudest stadiums that I have been in. Now, it's not always that way. I mean, 2015 is the year that stands out to me. That was Rick's last year. Both teams, like, no, neither team was really particularly good. It was an ugly game that day. Isaiah McKenzie, I think, scored, the, if I remember correctly, scored the decisive touchdown Low-scoring affair. I thought Margaret saved his job, but obviously that didn't end up happening that way. Um, but yeah, the crowd was not a factor at all. It was a noon game. It was not a factor at all in that game. But 2017, oh my God, that was one of the best environments I've been in. Uh, it really was. 2019, same story. 2021, same story. Georgia is coming to town, guys. And that's a, that is their second biggest rival in the entire SEC. It is the Deep South's oldest rivalry. We all know this. But not only that, Georgia is ranked number one. And not only that, Georgia is the two-time defending national champion. You know that place is going to be absolutely bananas out of its mind. I am fully expecting that. And I said it in the offseason. I'll say it again. I have some concerns about Carson Beck making his first road start in that environment. He's been in these stadiums before. He's not started a game and I go out there and play with a crowd that loud. Now, I have been very, very impressed with what I've seen from Carson from a demeanor standpoint. I think I should have a question about that later. I think it might be our last question. Uh, his calmness, his poise, and it seems like you guys, like, like, is your pulse like just flatlined? But in a situation like that, it could actually be a good thing. So I'm hopeful that he will be fine, but you don't know. You just don't know until you know, right, when it comes to something like that. So that at least has me mildly concerned. Now, Brock Bowers has been there, done that. It's not going to affect him. Dominic Lovett has played in the SEC, been there, done that. Shouldn't really affect him. Rara Thomas, same thing. Dejan Edwards, not going to be affected. Marcus Rosemey Jackson, not going to be affected. But what about some of the guys in the offensive line? What about Ernest Green? What about Dylan Fairchild? Two guys making their first road start also. You got to be able to hear. Offensive line, you got to be able to hear, right? False starts. That could be, that could be an issue, right? So it certainly is something that's on my mind. I'm very aware of it. I don't think it's going to be enough for Auburn to beat us in this game. I, it will be a home field advantage for sure, for sure. But I don't think it's going to be enough to overcome the talent edge here. But I do think it's going to be something we're going to have to contend with. And it will, it will absolutely be a factor. Of course it will. All right, next up, Aiden has a question about Auburn. Uh, what are your quick thoughts on the matchup with Auburn? So yeah, I will definitely have a full-on game preview for you guys. I'm working on that right now. But I'll give you some quick little thoughts here. Auburn sucks on offense. They are so bad, guys. There's two games that have gone under 260 yards. I've watched both of those games against Cal, guys. Cal's not that good on defense. Cal, I mean, Cal just was 
Washington dropped like 60 on Cal. Cal's not that good on defense, guys. I mean, they're, they're fine. They're not good. They cannot throw the football. They cannot throw the football. They run the ball really well. They're number two in the SEC in rushing offense. They're number one coming in the last week, number two now, but they are also dead last in passing offense. How many one-dimensional offense, especially when that one dimension is running the football, have had success against Georgia's defenses under Kirby Smart historically? Not many. I can't really think of one, to be honest with you. So I'm not saying they can't beat us. It's not impossible. But if they are going to beat us, they're going to have to overcome a lot of history and a lot of trends to be able to do that. Now, they do have some playmakers that can run the football. Robbie Asher is a dynamic threat at quarterback with, with his ability to run. Can't throw the ball to save his life. But uh, he gets a lot of single coverage. So maybe he can just, he's got a great arm, awesome arm. He just is inaccurate and really struggles to read defenses. But hey, if they can simplify the reads and give him a one-on-one matchup, throw the ball out there, maybe he can, he can complete a, a shot down the field and and that could hurt, especially if it's off play action, if we get our eyes in the wrong spot. Obviously, those kind of things could happen. Those are things that concern me. Dark West Hunter, uh, Alston's a good running back. They have some good backs, guys. I mean, they they run the ball really, really well. I mean, that doesn't surprise me with, with Hugh Freeze's scheme. I know technically it's Philip Montgomery calling the plays, but it's certainly heavily infused by, by uh, or inspired, I should say, by the scheme that Hugh Freeze has traditionally run. They want to run the football. But I do think that plays into our strengths. We have not been as dominant against the run this year as we have been the past couple of years, but that's still the strength of our defense, in my opinion. I think that kind of plays into our hands. Now, the, one thing that I will say about their run game is they get a lot of, they get a lot of run from their quarterbacks. The QB run game is a big factor in their offense and that is the one thing about 40 percent of the yards that we've given up uh against the run this year have been quarterback runs whether it's design qb runs scrambles whatever we got to be more disciplined we got to be better we got to have a plan for those quarterbacks now i will say this game might be a little bit different because we are aware coming into this game how big of a factor that the qb run game is for this team that wasn't really the case for the other teams that we've played so i, I think that we will have, we'll have spies, we'll have mirrors, we'll do all those different things, all those things that we tr- traditionally use against mobile quarterbacks. So I, I think the match against the Auburn offense is is a one that strongly favors us. Now, defensively, Auburn is a good team. They are not elite defensively, but they have a good front. They have a really strong veteran secondary. They're not dominant on the defensive line, but they're good. They're capable. Eugene Asante, in my opinion, is one of the best linebackers in the in the SEC right now. He's just all over the field. He's a very versatile player for them. Rush the passer, play side on the sideline. He can cover, he can do a lot of things. He's one of those guys that's a three-down linebacker. They don't really take him off the field. Really, really, really good athlete, really good football player. Kind of came out of nowhere this year. He's been on that team. Hasn't really been a factor. This year, oh yeah, he is a factor. So I think our offense will have more issues with the Auburn defense than our defense will have with the Auburn offense. I think that's pretty clear. I'm curious to see if we're going to have enough success running the football. If we can run the football, just at least decently, we're going to win this football game. It's just a matter of can we do that and take a little bit of pressure off Carson Beck? Can we find ways to get the ball into the hands of our top playmakers, which we started to show signs of doing last week? We've got to do that, guys. Right now, guys, again, the margins are reduced right now because of all the injuries that we're dealing with. Our roster, when fully healthy, is significantly ahead of where Auburn's roster is. However, all of the injuries are reducing those margins. It's not as much better as the Auburn roster as it would be if we were fully healthy. So that's just the situation right now. Again, survive in advance, guys. I do not care if we leave Auburn, Alabama with a one-point victory on Saturday. I do not care. I'll be over the moon. I'll be excited, okay? I will be excited because right now I understand where we are right now. I understand the situation that we are in. My perspective is such that just survive in advance, get to the bye week, get to Florida, get most of these guys back, then you hit the stretch run and we're going to be in good shape. Because right now, we, we're, we're, we're struggling with injuries, guys. A lot of injuries. Impact players, role players, ones, twos, you name it. We got guys out. So we just got to survive in advance. One-point victories are victories, man. I don't care. Get out of there with a the win. Survive in advance. Move on. And finally, last question here. Just a, a kind of fun one to, to end on today. Uh, ben, another great friend of the podcast. Thanks, Ben. Uh, he asks, is Carson Beck the most expressionless football player You've ever encountered in your life after those long ball misses, his face was non-expressive. Like the delivery guy forgot his extra side of ranch. Does that work for quarterbacks this day and age? Great question. It's certainly not how I was a football player, but I was not a quarterback. I was a defensive guy. So I played with my heart on my sleeve. I played with my hair on fire like 100 miles an hour like a crazy madman because that's what you need on defense and that's what I was. I'm an emotional guy. I'm an emo boy. I'll own it. It is what it is. Carson is not that. He is calm, collected, poised, all of those adjectives and many more apply to him. Personally, Ben, I do think that is what you want in a quarterback. Now, I would like to see him have a little bit of fire. I like fieriness now, but there's also, there's like Baker Mayfield fire, and then there's cars, right? There's a happy medium. Like, I don't think a quarterback necessarily needs to be like Baker Mayfield, because I think that can work against you. Now, some people feed off of that, sure. 
But I also think that, you know, you get fired up like that and that can create some issues. Uh, so I, I'm a psychology guy. And so I'm gonna throw a little psychology at you here since you're talking about like the mindset and his personality here. There's something called arousal theory, which basically states that humans seek an optimal level of arousal. And no, not that kind of arousal. We're talking about arousal, like the state in which like you feel alert or excited. And not everyone has the same arousal threshold. Different individuals need different levels of arousal. And then take that a step further, and I know this means absolutely nothing to you, but I think the concepts, the names mean nothing, but I think the concepts will, will apply here. There's this thing called the Yerkes-Dodson Law, again, going arousal theory, and what that basically says is an individual, like, you need moderate levels of arousal to complete a task successfully. Like, why do people choke? Like sports psychologists, they use this, right? They're talking about arousal theory and Yerkes-Dodson Law. A sports psychologist would say, if you're choking, what's happening is you are too aroused. You have too much excitement, too much alertness, and it's hampering your performance. So that's why I say it's not ideal to have a quarterback who is like that, who has this insane level of arousal and is always fired up all the time, because that can absolutely, in critical moments, that can cause you to choke, and that can cause your performance to suffer. But on the flip side, you want to have enough arousal so that you actually are like, performing the tasks that you need to do because if you don't have enough arousal then your performance also suffers so what you want is you want to find that happy medium right you want to find that happy medium that moderate level so that you can complete the task successfully to do your job successfully so that's where I would love to see Carson maybe have a little bit more of a pulse out there at times I think he did get excited uh, after one of the touchdowns in the South Carolina game I like to see that I was like, oh yeah let's go I need to see a little bit more of that so I, I would like to see a little bit more but hey you are who you are personality is personality it is what it is and you don't want be, you don't want the guy to be something that he's not so anyway, there's your psychology lesson for the day that none of you were expecting and none of you probably wanted, but there you have it anyway. But yeah, all right, guys, that's uh, that's it. That's it for the questions today. I will be back on Wednesday night with our official Georgia-Auburn Deep South's oldest rivalry game preview for you guys. And Charlie and I will be back to gloat and beat our chest on Thursday night with our week five picks of the week. As last week, guys, Oh yeah, it was a good week. It was the week that we've been hoping for. It was the week that we had coming and uh, we'll review those those picks and we'll give you even more winners heading into week five. So a lot of great content left for you guys the rest of the week. Keep on coming back here for more. We got all of your Georgia football needs taken care of here on the Glory UGA podcast. So thank you as always guys for being here. I'm Tyler and of course, as always, go dog.